And so they they've taken a pay cut, haven't they? They sure have. Very very conniving the way they steal this money, isn't it? They said Yeah, that's that, interesting. That bank, yeah. That SBB bank yeah. is full of uh Obama and Clinton exes and less than five percent of the whole bank knew anything about banking. Now does that make sure. sense at all? And Mark uh, sure Cuban it does had, because this this is just another tool of of the of the of those that have their hearts set on on evil and mm-hmm. whose love and desire is money in their own bellies. Uh, clearly, uh, you know it's just another tool that we use in the arsenal is that we own a bank because yeah. now we can do things with the bank. You know, and the true little secret about the whole Dodd Frank thing itself was also giving the opportunity for these types of banks to be created. And when they create these kinds of banks um, and they're using they're using them as tools of of the Democrat Party, the left or a Republican and a Republican Party or the right or any whichever one, it uh-huh. doesn't matter the purpose and the end game was the same. It's a money laundering mechanism. It's a means of which, uh, you know, generating uh, funds to those people that are going to become your future leaders uh, who are going to be, you know, milking these processes that, that they're generating out here for, uh, you know, fake market capitalism through green energy deals and all the rest of it. It's just another tool. And who continues to bear the brunt of this fiscal folly, these irresponsible, wicked, despicable people? Who? It It's just like you and I were talking on the text today. You know, you asked me if I'm, you know, if uh, if I'm going to, you know, n- need to is my brick maker i guess it was electric or gas maker you know or gas <laughs> you know uh, we're out here making more bricks and doing everything we can and they're laughing all the way and there's no accountability never has been in a hundred years and don't see it starting tomorrow you asked the perfect question. What is the role of a regulator? If the, if the regulator's been called off, then you can go crooked, can't you? Or paid off or whatever. But in a regular bank, they're there every month, aren't they? To make sure the books <laughs> add up. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a community bank, uh, boy, we're going to have the regulators there. And adding more regulations to the point that they can't they can't handle the bureaucracy and they've just got to fold up and and uh-huh. uh, go on and uh, yeah it reminds me of the words of uh, Andrew Jackson I've got them right here I've had men watching you for a long time and I am convinced that you have used the funds of the bank to speculate in the breadstuffs of the country. And when you won, you divided the profits amongst you. And when you lost, you charged it to the bank. You are a den of vipers and thieves. 
1834 on closing the Second Bank of the United States, Andrew Jackson. Yep. Did he know what was going on? 1834. That's almost 200 years. Excuse me. That it. Yeah, it's almost 200 years. It's just what 10 years shy, uh-huh. and there's still a den of thieves. Mm-hmm. Backers. Which reminded me also about Christ's words about the money changers in the temple. And I got to thinking about this today. You know, we are his kings and his priests, his ambassadors for his will in his creation. I had a email or a video that uh, came across my email, and um, I think I may have sent it out to you, Russell, um, and a couple of others. And basically what it was, um, was obviously the voice of a black woman in South Africa. And she's literally went on for two and a half minutes saying, just let the white people do what the white people do when the white people were doing what the white people were doing everybody here had jobs that wanted a job you know and even you know and we had bread and food and we had um some of the nicest cities um we had power companies who knew how to distribute power um and she just went on and on, you know, and mm-hmm. I sent it out to Monica in South Africa and said, you know, perhaps there's still hope. Um, there are some black people in in South Africa that are finally waking up and saying, you know, these white people, they're not so terribly bad. They actually mm-hmm. do a lot of very good when you step back and actually look at it. And again, Mm -hmm. I've said this so many times, it's not really the white people that are doing these things wrong. It's that they're being led by people who can be bought and can be manipulated. And those people who are buying and manipulating them are the enemy, the adversary to all things Christ-like. And I I know we get this. We understand it, obviously. I'm just, you know, just thinking out loud here. As we begin to look at this more and more and more, all we see is that we've had a commission to do something, not for our glory, but that his name would be glorified in the creation. And we can't allow these adversaries to come in amongst us and tip that to where we appear to be the the bad guys. And that's exactly what the adversaries have done. And the sooner we can recognize that these adversaries walk on two legs and are are, you know, in the in the county next to us or the seat next to us or even the legislative pew next to uh, the other one. Uh the the better off we're going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. But the Christians you know, got us mean? out here, you know, 
Well, let's look at the two most sophisticated places in the United States, New York, California. People leaving are leaving in droves from all of this sophistication. Do you remember back when we were young and Aspen, Colorado and Vale were just old mining towns? I was thinking about this. And then all of a sudden, they get Judaized. And what do I mean by that? The certain key figures start buying property out there. And of course, you know, they buy it all up and then decide it's a cool place to go. And they can determine who gets to come out there and what the fees are. For long, you have this place that normal people can't go to. And Vale, uh, uh, Aspen's one of them. Have you ever been there? I thought you spent some time Aspen in Colorado. Col- yeah, Aspen, Colorado. Yeah. I never actually went to Aspen for anything. Uh-huh. Or Vale. Just just yeah. mining. Yeah, no, I never made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what about the one in Montana? What's it called? Or Wyoming, uh, Jackson Hole, same deal. Yes, yes. And that's what these people are doing now. They've converted Austin, Texas into a giant septic system. And a lot of them are going to Montana now. And just watch. Uh, Do you know what they're trying to do to Texas is to convince us we need gambling parlors here? Since every place else they put them has done so well for society. And they put Rick Perry in charge of converting our minds to believing that this giant Jewish gambling industry would be a good thing for the state of Texas. Probably going to help our schools and our medical and probably reduce all our taxes. You know how it works. Let me guess, are they going to put it on some kind of an Indian reservation? <laughs> they, they would love to, but we ran all the Indians out of Texas. <laughs> so I was going to say, is there such a thing in Texas? <laughs> so they guys start making up tribes. Seriously. There's one made up in El Paso. And uh, is it so, run by Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Good evening, Rich. Uh, Good evening, guys. Good evening. But yeah. um, so so that's we, that's that's he he's commissioned with the task to to show Texans yeah. how much. So have you guys not had casinos in Texas? No, it's illegal. Oh. So what they've been what they've been doing is these things they call game rooms, uh-huh. where you're supposed to you can win a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. Everybody knows that's fraud. But um, they want the big ones, and the, <laughs> and the Jews are behind it, one hundred percent. Of course, you know we didn't we. We didn't have paramutual horse betting for since we were a republic till maybe ten years ago. 
And guess what? It hadn't worked all that great because, you know, a lot of us work hard for our money. And, you know, gambling is fun, Doug. It is so fun, so long as you're winning something. But from what I've heard, when you lose stuff, it's not all that fun. And the house never loses, is what I've heard. Well, certainly they don't lose as much as the losers lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, what's you new and everybody? Go ahead. Did you, did you hear who was on the board of that bank that just failed? Uh, yeah, I, I heard a I heard a name, and I should remember. It's Barney Frank. Bar oh, Barney. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Barney Frank. Barney. Yeah, Barney yeah he's on the board of the one. He's he's on the board of the one in in New York, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was well, on the well. one in the new. Yeah, he was the one in New York. Yep, the queer Congress makes perfect sense. Yeah, yep. makes perfect sense, doesn't it, Rich? He bought, he made the bank regulations, and they gave him that job. Yep. Yeah. And as you said earlier, that's what we were just talking about. That's what we were just talking about, Russell, is you you yeah. get your legislators to create some laws and then you go in and say, OK, this is all we have to do in order to create this bank for these purposes. And when we create it for these purposes, you know, we've got a green light to go do whatever we pretty much want to do. And uh, uh, and and then wonder why when suddenly there's. You know, it's not under the same kind of guidance and rules that everybody else is supposed to play under, and then start scratching your head, going, "What happened? What happened? I can't imagine that happened." <laughs> let's let's get back to the brick making. It does. Right. Do, it does a couple of things. When you're out there making bricks, you're not having good quality time with your children. And in my case, I've been making bricks so long, the kids grew up. And I'm I'm sitting here going, where did all that time go? It all went at the brick-making factory. And you think you're really accomplishing something by putting in these 10-hour days or 12 or whatever. Man, I'm a working guy. Uh Somebody's stealing your time. I didn't realize how valuable that time was. When you got these kids, young, ready to learn, should be playing with them, enjoying life. You're down there working all the time. And then they grow up. You know? I do. They grow up fast, don't they, Doug? And you were trying to do everything that you could think of to keep them safe and protected from 
from everything that you could see that was going on with all that hard work and energy. Mm-hmm. All that brick you know, making. For us to get to a Peter's conference wouldn't be possible without him allowing us to sell t-shirts and he knew that that was our ticket there there was 11 of us in one family yeah well you drew you do some good t-shirts i'm wearing one right now well, the, fam- the famous you. Obama de- o- Obama bowing down T-shirts. Uh, you still have one of those T-shirts, Rich? <laughs> I do. It's a favorite. Aquaman. Oh man, I have, I, I, I minor. I've still got a couple of them, but they're pretty holy. I mean, everything is pretty much disintegrated as much as I wore those. And I don't think anybody got it to this day. <laughs> we, mm, well, man. we would work fun. so hard. You had fun explaining it to people. Yeah. Yeah. We, we you know something? That, that T-shirt, I'm telling you, that T-shirt sat in a room somewhere in Colorado because apparently those that got them didn't see the benefit in them. Or I I don't know what it was, but they sat in a room in Colorado and they never saw the light of day until i asked about them and was told well they were here somewhere and there was there was a couple hundred of them i think that i boxed and sent there sad sad just another one of those things i you remind me of rich about those t-shirts well i've still got mine Yeah. Now one tough T-shirt. I I, uh, I wear white T-shirts. Uh, that's my uniform, and um, um, I've pretty much I don't know probably had a dozen of them that I, you know, wear from day to day to day, week after week. And so by the time I I got through uh, with a couple three years or most all of his presidency. Um, I'd pretty well wore them all out. Like I say, I've got one or two that I tore the sleeve off of one of them and the other one doesn't even have a collar on it anymore. <laughs> so I, I ripped the collar off of it and in the middle a little bit. So it gets a little more sunshine in on my, on my skin, you know, in the summertime. But I usually wear it now when I'm doing some, some hard labor that I can I can afford to be dirty and messy and nobody's going to care what I look like, I guess, because it's pretty ratty now. Mm-hmm. That's my last two. I know I've still got them, though. So, interesting. Mm-hmm. You were going to say, Russell? Like 
They last as long as bricks. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you didn't wear yours as many times as I wore mine. Then, <laughs> go ahead, Russell. <laughs> if if Rich delivered a message tonight, or Doug, or Russell, the ultimate compliment in that message would be to God be the glory for what we just heard, wouldn't it? it would. Focusing on God's. Uh, trembling word. I mean, that's a good description. And the very worst thing could happen was, boy, Doug and Rich, man, those guys are, whew, they're smart. They're so spiritual. They're so far ahead of the rest of us. Give the glory to Doug and Rich or whoever. Then you kind of failed, hadn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I that's the way I view it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because if what there isn't something do, in there to what you're going to do here, hopefully pretty quick, is we're going to open up God's Word and we're going to read it. Definitely. And hopefully. Definitely. Hopefully we'll all. Well, let me say a prayer. Lord, you are the reason. And we, our minds are so fragile and and misled and off topic, but we got to remember, we have to tremble when we read your word. We have to believe when we read your word. And we got to, want the truth with everything we got because God you're the truth so lead us tonight let let use Doug as an instrument Lord hope we're all worthy but tonight use Doug as an instrument to convey a message so that we will grow and benefit your kingdom and your glorification Jesus in your name we pray and amen Hallelujah. Well, yeah, you know, last week we were uh, having a discussion, at least uh, in part. I, I, I read from an article, you know, about the question that a man had regarding the bride of Christ. And he was bringing it to a religious organization and saying, how is it that you can say the bride of the Christ is is the church? And yet. Revelation 21 says it's it's the city. And so it just was another one of those things that jumps out at me as I was contemplating some things that here's another example of people having been, you know, led false information uh, by the church, uh, the church world, as I've often referred to it. And it's another destructive you know, component and he deserved he, she, I don't know who it was. I'm, I'm referring to it in the masculine as I'm known to do. So the, the party says, you know, that, um, you know, I've got this question then fires back another question. So I won't repeat that, but that's basically part one of what I went ahead and titled understanding kinsman redeemer, a key to the bride of Christ. 
<clears throat> and hopefully that'll be something that I think we're going to conclude it here this evening. Uh, as as I said, um, my whole intention as I began to think about it was that, yeah, if we don't have this understanding here of really what the kinsman redeemer is all about, and that Christ was that kinsman redeemer, then how can we really understand um, this bride of Christ? and recognize the imagery that that was being used <clears throat> in order to do that so um you know i'm not going to go over everything that we went but just as a quick follow-up i guess that that would you know a recap so to speak of of what we went over a little bit last week i read the letter and so forth and 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 then wanted to get us kind of the juices flowing down the path of of understanding a few basic components and terms and so forth and we went to revelation 19 we went to john you know chapter one and john chapter three and even um john the baptist himself in 328 and 29 that he called himself the friend of the bridegroom and so if john is the friend of the bridegroom who must the bridegroom be? We acknowledge and we accept, and probably most of the church world accepts that that bridegroom would be Christ. <clears throat> um, as those scriptures clearly convey. Um, we'd been in Romans chapter nine and Romans chapter 11 in the past several fellowships. And so I returned us there to where Paul clearly identifies that he wished that he could be that curse for his brethren, his own brethren, his own flesh and blood, who he knew was rejecting this truth of Christ as the Redeemer of Israel and the Messiah and was really rejecting them. And from there, basically, um, you know, turning to the parable in Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 through 14 asking ourselves you know several different questions out of that for the purposes of getting our minds thinking about it and um, helping us when we talk with others to try to keep these thoughts flowing <clears throat> by having reviewed them a little bit because while we may know some of this, and having known it for you know several decades in our families, there's even those within our families and our children sometimes that we thought might have been or should have been paying attention and have come to realize that they really, you know, perhaps hadn't been paying attention as much as we would have liked to have thought. And, you know, is it the young person's mind that doesn't think this is important or is not absorbing it in in the way in which you know you you hope that they are and so then now here we come you know several years later and we start finding out that some of these you know, youth are 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 not really knowing and understanding these very things about what it means to be the the bride of christ and um who the individuals were that were in covenant with god and and that he actually had a physical divorce with those people, or at least uh, 
you know, that there was a portion of them that were divorced and that being Jeremiah 3, 8 and, and Judah was not divorced and why. And so it's kind of helpful, I think, for us to kind of recap in our own minds and stuff what we do know and what we've understood scripturally. And that we don't probably talk about monk, uh, much amongst, uh, you know, ourselves or even with family or even extended families and so forth. But what I wanted to pick back up now is we had just gone to the, the components um, of the law, basically, about a, a kinsman redeemer. Um, and those were the law in Leviticus 27, 9 through 25, Leviticus 25, 25 and 30 to 34, as well as verses 47 to 48 in that chapter. And also, it's important to probably key in on, um, you know, the other verses in between 35 to 55. So I guess, uh, um, or actually, I, would, I think that was in 35, uh, uh, 55. No, let's see. I guess I'm drawing a blank on that. I better turn over to Leviticus and make sure I'm not given something that I... I just have uh, 35, 55 written down, and, and I'm not sure if I didn't uh, get something there that I was supposed to. <clears throat> but we won't be dwelling on that, so it's probably not all that important. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have... Uh, Uh, okay, well, how did I do that? Now I flipped all the way back to the front. Oh, oh I'm at Leviticus. Uh, all right, I, I've got something wrong on that. I, I'm wondering if it isn't Leviticus 25 verses 35 to 55. So let me just quick look at that. Leviticus 25. And I just, yep, that's what it is. I just happened to write that off to the side. But anyhow, and then Deuteronomy uh, 25, 5 to 10. Now, that law of the kinsman redeemer, it, it pertains, has three components. First, that pertaining to redeeming a, a land, and that is Leviticus 25, 25 to 34. And that pertaining to redeeming poor persons. Uh, or persons that have been disenfranchised from their inheritance or land, because that was one of the things that they got. And that, of course, is Leviticus 25, um, 47 to 48 specifically. And as I say, the verses from 35 to 55 uh, all pertain in some measure to uh, something that we should always kind of keep in our mind. And then um, because the reason this applies is because Isaiah 52 verse 3 tells us they were taken out of that promised land. Isaiah 52 uh, 3, I believe it was. Um, let's go there. Um, sold for nothing and redeemed without money. I think it's important that we make sure that we go there and if we don't have it marked that we maybe mark it at this time and that we've got it to be able to connect the dots so to speak so in 52 of isaiah verse 3 he says 
Yes, says Yahweh, you have sold yourselves for nothing. You shall be redeemed without money. So that's really, really important because if one of the ways you get into slavery is to be sold into slavery. And Yahweh is telling his people here through the prophet Isaiah that they sold themselves for nothing. In other words, they were the ones by free will and free agency decided to violate the very command, the very will, the very marriage covenant that he'd made with them. And I went over uh, just a cursory review of the words involved here um, of redeem and redemption. It's number 1350 in Strong's, uh, and it is we gaal, we gaal, we gaal. It means to buy back or to redeem, to purchase. Um, kinsman is number 1350. It's go alo. It means to redeem from slavery. It means a close male relative by blood as a protector or a kinsman redeemer. So the kinsman redeemer together is a goel, G-O-E-L, goel. And again, any close male relative could bring redemption of property or person and their freedom or their liberty by paying the required price. Now, many people have been, I guess, directed in some respects when this topic may come up in the churches to the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, and as the kinsman redeemer, um, Boaz was a near relative, but he was not the closest near relative. And he had to go to that other relative first and determine whether or not he was going to be the kinsman redeemer and perform the duty of kinsman redeemer. He was a close relative. He needed to be able to be able to perform it, and he needed to be willing to perform it. And as we find out from the book of Ruth, that this first close relative was not willing to perform the duty of the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz stepped forward. In in fact, Boaz told this near relative that in order for you to perform this, you do have to take Ruth um, as, as a wife. And it's either because of that situation that the close relative declined to be able to perform it. Um, it, The scripture isn't clear on why he said he would not be able to perform it other than he said that he, it would, um, I'm paraphrasing, it was going to potentially mar his own inheritance. And there's speculations on it. I'm not even going to. The scripture doesn't say, so I'm going to pretty much just leave it. That it wasn't necessary to know. What was necessary to know and understand is that Boaz was, Boaz was willing, and Boaz also was able. So he fit the three criteria uh, in 
in what a kinsman, kinsman redeemer would do under the obligations. So in Numbers chapter 35, verses 6 through 34, there is another kinsman re redeemer. And this is something that I find as I was studying into this a little bit more, I thought, you know, let me just let, I don't want to spend the time on reading it and going through it, but it's the avenger of blood. He was the one who was to catch the murderer and kill that murderer. And I thought of Abraham as he went after um, his nephew Lot um, being um, kidnapped. And in some respects, he acted as an avenger of blood because the, 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 sh the penalty for kidnapping was death. And so whoever that kidnapper was, you know, was somebody that was, you know, duty bound, if you will, to become dead themselves. And that's exactly what he did do. And <clears throat> but I thought about imagine what this law and application would actually prevent today. You had kinsmen, redeemers who were avenging the blood of those. And another article popped up today, uh, maybe a couple of days ago, I think it was. And it was a it was a young man whose daughter, I think, was only five or seven years old or something. And he caught an old man who was a known pedophile, um, you know, through the system, the secular system. And he caught him and he literally beat him to death with, uh, I think, a, a, a moose horn and something else. And uh, uh, in fact, Russell, I think it was in Texas. And I just saw the other day that he's not going to be tried um, for murder on that because Texas actually has a law um, regarding something uh, i forget what it was but that was just another interesting thing to me is to have been reading about that and then see the very situation of this individual who d carried it out basically and to understand that the secular government in texas was not going to hold him uh, liable for a charge of of murder against the the pedophile we're so bad. um so yeah yeah um so if a close relative lost his land, for example, by poverty, um, he had to sell the land in order to pay a debt that he owed back to somebody else. Um, you know, there was the 50 year jubilee, but perhaps somebody, you know, might have been 50, 60 years old at the time. And it's still 20, 30 years out from jubilee or something he could be potentially too old to actually make that land um, productive again for him and to provide for him, you know, by waiting till the year of Jubilee. So a kinsman redeemer could pay to buy it back for him. And that's just kind of one little example I was running over in my head as to how would this work in its application and so forth? Because that's what we want to do is to understand these uh, these uh, divine immutable laws of God and how they would apply. And 
another situation might be um, uh, an, an, an injury um, or even an, another natural disaster. And um, that individual, you know, gave the land in pledge or something along that line recovery after this this injury or this natural disaster and so those could be some other ways perhaps in way uh, an individual could have lost or sold his inheritance if you will and would need to have a kinsman redeemer assist with buying it back the cost may be much higher than he would be able to buy back in a year or two years or maybe even five years worth of labor at at that time but those are some examples that came to my mind and then thirdly the close relative um let's say the um an individual dies and he's left a widow without any offspring he must marry the widow and that firstborn of that union would inherit the deceased father's estate. It was called the law of a leveret marriage. And so in part, this kinsman redeemer law facilitates really what amounts to an in-family estate assurance program, if you will. And secondly, bonding quite frankly, of an entire extended family in that relation. And another one was that it would provide protection and assistance in the event of a loss, such as I just described as being one of the examples where it may have occurred to an individual or have had happened to him that he had to sell the inheritance. And the fourth thing that I wrote down as part of what this law facilitates was really disgraceful connotations to an unwillingness to perform, even though being able. Now, in this particular individual's instance uh, of the Book of Ruth, he didn't he he didn't do it in a disgraceful way or anything. He was not able to perform on at least one of the three components, and that didn't matter to Boaz and it wouldn't have mattered to anybody else who would have determined that I am willing and I am able and I therefore as a kinsman redeemer can perform it. So he was certainly able, he already owned fields. We learned from the story and there really wasn't any financial downside for him as he was going to secure more production for years. and. Certainly um, for Naomi, whose fields that had to be transferred in ownership, if you will, because of her husband being deceased and um, Ruth's husband also being deceased. And so um, this land that Elimelech had, which was Naomi's husband, husband, she could have simply sold the land for her maintenance. But understanding the law. Naomi knew there was far better benefit, not only for her, but also for Ruth and for an inheritance. She may not have understood what Yahweh had in mind, um, but certainly by inspiration of God, she she did this this way, which provided for Ruth 
as well as provided for Naomi. And ultimately, as the kinsman redeemer of Israel, because Boaz's marriage with Ruth is the progenitor of Israel's redeemer. It was their son, Obed, which is King David's grandfather, and thus the Davidic progenitor of our Emmanuel, the Christ, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer. So that is how important the kinsman Redeemer was and how God worked a kinsman Redeemer um, um, what do I want to call it? Uh, duty and obligation for us to have as the record, which is one more token of this beautiful story of love that he exudes for his people Israel. And this is where the church world takes over and spiritualizes the Christ. And the church, in spite of what we learn in the scripture and how we're supposed to apply it in our understanding with what the totality of the scriptures is showing us and conveying to us. And Ezekiel chapter 34, turn there quickly and we'll look at that. I'm having fumbly fingers tonight. I got it. All right, Ezekiel chapter 34. And I think we're looking at, uh, let's start with 10. Thus says Yahweh God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I, I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. 11. For thus says Yahweh God, behold, I even I will both search my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And now read 12 to 24. Uh, I just read 12. And I'll bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture um, I don't want to read all that for time. Drop down to 24. Uh, how about 23 and 4? And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David, prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken it. And I will make with them a covenant of peace, and I will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. They shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I'll stop there. The, the church world seems 
dead set on rejecting and ignoring so much of these prophetic utterances, whether it's in you know the major prophets or the minor prophets. But he promises here in these scriptures to seek that which was lost, that which is broken, that which is sick. And he says, but he's going to destroy the fat and the strong and feed them with judgment. This tribe of Judah was the only one still in a relationship with Yahweh. And the fat and the strong represents the fat of Judah, and he's going to feed them with judgment. The, and the taking the kingdom from them, as we read about in past fellowships, we could turn over there probably, but it's Matthew chapter 21. Let's go there. And verse uh, 33. Yeah, let's do that. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, and digged a wine press in it and built a tower. He let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman, that he might receive the fruits of it. And the husband took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said, among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize upon his inheritance. They caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard comes, what will he do unto those husbandmen? He is, Christ is asking the question of these here. And when you go up a little bit here, um, you find that Jesus is speaking to, let's see, what verse is that in? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Um, in uh, 23, uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority did you do these things? Now, I believe in a parallel um, gospel here to this one here um i believe he it's referenced that he's speaking to the pharisees here in my king james it's referring to uh the chief priests and the elders but this is who he's talking to obviously the chief priests and the elders in jerusalem at the time should have been judahites and uh, certainly were, but were mixed with those that were not his people, uh, as we've covered in past fellowship uh, in the archives as well. So here he asked them, what should this husbandman do to these wicked servants? And they literally said out of their own mouths, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus says unto them, did you never read in the scriptures 
the stone which the builders rejected the same is become head of the corner this is the lord's doing and is it marvelous in your eyes therefore say i unto you the kingdom of god shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof here we have the complete understanding from the prophets that said there was going to be destruction upon judah and Ju judah was going to have the kingdom the kingdom of god what is the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is his will and his righteousness his law statutes and judgments and their compliance and their um implementation throughout his creation and it's just so beautiful how the story just keeps unfolding in the scriptures and yet the church world is trying to change the story in midstream trying to change who the bride is and call it the church when really all the word ecclesia translated in our bibles as church means is the called or an assembly i suppose you could call it the church meaning the body of believers but that's really um you know uh, putting an improper terminology on something that really should be more properly translated the way the word renders and that is simply assembly um or the called and clearly the people of israel the sheep were being called those of the 10 northern tribes were being called to come back in under the redeemer's wing care and protection and um the one who had been entrusted with the servantship it was going to be transferred to a near kinsman because all of these all of these who would not repent and come under the blood of christ were not going to be redeemed they were going to be lost they were going to be destroyed and as a result of that destruction that kinsman redeemer was the new king of the land he's the new um heir the owner he is the heir and the owner that's why paul refers to them that know the law how about that the body of uh, of believers know you not that for the it was written for them that know the law he says um to get them to understand that the death burial and resurrection of god in the flesh was required in order to redeem the people the previous covenant that jacob israel the 10 northern tribes were under once they had been divorced they could not be reunited with the former husband in marriage unless the former husband had been dead was that widow or that uh, that um not widower that divorcee free to be remarried until the former husband was dead otherwise she would be called an adulterer 
And so in order to have that not apply, she had to be redeemed. And that was redeemed by the former husband who'd actually put her away. And in, in, in our minds and thinking, we don't see how this could be possible that God could take this Jacob Israel back under his care and protection once again when the very law of God forbid him from being reunited with her. And so now let's return to Revelation chapter 5 where we're going to open the door up to something in the seals or the book rather. Um, too far. And we read in 19 last week, and I'll try to go back to that too, if I don't uh, forget, but in Revelation chapter five, um, let's read all of this in, um, one through 10, at least. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to even look upon and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Can you imagine John? He's got this vision in his head and he's like, somebody open the book. Somebody open the book. Is there not anybody to open the book? What's in the book? And it's bringing him to tears. And one of the elders says unto him, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us, has redeemed us to God. Who is it that's singing this new song? the four and 20 elders that fell down before the lamb. They sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals or thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred tongue, people and nation and has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Rather than using the called as it should have been translated verse 9 unequivocally conveys the lamb was slain to purchase for yahweh with his blood men from every tribe tongue 
and nation of Israel. Now you're going to say, well, it doesn't say Israel, Doug. Well, this whole book from Genesis, what is it, 10 on, is about the people who became known as Israel. And there's even more proofs in other parts of the scriptures to that, but we're not going into that now. But it's true. And this is what he did, was he redeemed his people. Now, when you go back to Revelation 19, which the person who wrote the, the question to that, church organization and wanted an answer that the church could not answer with this that we're going through right now could not answer it he brought up revelation chapter 19 and uh see what verse was that i got my notes here Uh, yeah, 19 verse 9. Um, so let's go back to Revelation 19 now. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, I think we just go ahead and start with one because there's some things I want to bring out of that. Um, oh, just another interesting thing here at 18 that I see at verse 24 and in her, what in her, this, this great whore of Babylon in her was found the blood of prophets of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. 19 one. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto Yahweh, our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And the smoke rose up forever. And the four and twenty the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped. Now these are the same thing we saw in Revelation chapter five. Amen and hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. He says unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou do it not, for I am a fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, 
worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he does judge and make war. Wow, see and here he is coming as the righteous kinsman redeemer. He had not only the duty, he had the desire in other words he was able and had the commitment and then carried it through and just so much of what is here for us that the church world has been just incapable of sharing with us at all turn over to revelation chapter 21 and let's read one and two. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the, the writer, the questioner, asked the, the, this church organization and said, well, he's not going to marry a city, is he? And so the response was, well, it's merely imagery. Yes, it is imagery. But why won't you tell the man or the individual what needs to be known, which is that this bride adorned for her husband is that bride of Christ, that Israel who has been made pure and white as snow, having had her sins made that were as scarlet, made white as wool. Drop down to verse 9 in 21 of Revelation. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And it had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of israel on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates and on the west three gates and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb oh my Why, oh, why, oh, why does the, quote, church, supposedly the cult of Christ, with all of their education and training and knowledge, what is it about you and me that we cannot understand these words? 
And I feel for the guy, the individual who wrote in to try to get an answer to this and got all of the platitudes and all the spiritualism that they could muster, but he could not be given this truth. It's just amazing to me. I'm barely a high school graduate. And it's right here. I'm going to show you the bride. Come with me. I'm going to show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And what is the imagery that he shows, the angel shows John? A city gleaming like jasper, crystal clear. 12 gates, 12 angels, representing the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And also the foundations are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is the bride of Christ. It is Israel, all Israel. He said he would bring all Israel back together. A remnant of Judah would be saved. And the kinsman redeemer laid down his life. His blood was the sacrifice for the covenant the new covenant which we always refer to as the new testament i wish that it would say new covenant or that we would have learned that a testament is a covenant it is the new covenant in his blood we take the sacrament and we say this is the new covenant in his blood shed for us The kinsman redeemer offered to purchase Israel, the treasure that was hid in the field. He gave up his life willingly. Remember in the parable, the field is the world. Christ was the nearest kinsman. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 11 to 17 tells us that he was made like as we are. Born of the line of David of the tribe of Judah. He was the nearest kinsman. First responsibility and duty accomplished second it was christ who was able by the commission of yahweh 
by the death of the husband. That is our God, our Emmanuel, God with us. He came. The kingdom of God was right there in their midst. And he paid the full price that was due. And the price that was due was death of the husband. Thirdly, he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will. He asked that that cup could pass from him. And yet recognized that he had to do it because it was not his will, but rather thy will of the Father be done. And so he willingly suffered. I find that, I find that. This biblical story and this love story of what he tried to share and show the whole world through these people called Israel, what he intended and desired to do is just remarkable. We, I'm sure many of us can sit there at times and think, could I do this for my fellow man? And this is what he means, I think, when he says, you must be willing to take up your cross and follow me. And I was thinking about that in terms of all that we're seeing right now. And we are his sovereign servants. We know a we owe no allegiance, no duty, no capacity of obedience or anything to any other but him and him only. Fear not who can kill the body, but rather fear, fear him who can kill both body and soul in Gehenna, the grave. Uh, man, it, it, it just puts chills in my being, recognizing this deed that he did that all of us would benefit from. And he just wants us to carry out his will and be about his business. And here we are, we're about to watch humanity literally being destroyed by the very adversary who's been tempting from the beginning and who continues to want to take the birthright from the one to whom the birthright was given.
And so I hope that helps us to talk with people about this the bride of Christ is so much more magnanimous and glorifying than what the church is faded into by calling it the church as the bride of Christ. We've got some really, really big shoes to fill here in fulfilling our duties to him. And so be about your father's business. Tell everybody that you can. Show everybody in the word. Bring them to the scriptures. Try to walk them through it. Mark these things in your Bible. And keep telling it. And keep grounded in the faith. And do the will of your father. To do everything you can to live righteously in accordance with his will. And I have no doubt. We shall receive a crown of glory. And hopefully this is something that will help. For us to. Make more of this than the church has. This is a big deal. So Revelation, once again, is not one of these books that we can't understand, is it? It really isn't. It's got a lot of imagery. It's done that way for a purpose. That's the way God speaks to us, is in poetry, if you will. You know, we don't even know much about poetry anymore. We don't really, you know, uh, does anybody get taught any of that in, in, you know, in these secular public school systems anymore? To, to have language that's poetic and fluid and flowing and has meaning and passion and, and is a little bit mystifying. To just your average cursory read requires imagination, thinking, contemplation. Kinsman Redeemer. And the bride of Christ. Does that make sense? The beefy message. <laughs> A beefy message. <laughs> yeah, this, this isn't milk toast you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to remind me of the algebra, pre-algebra. It's uh, 
it's so hard to comprehend this. But it's all there, isn't it? It's all there. There. It's just uh, sad how we've been, you know, so left unattended by the shepherds. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you think about that scripture that I sent you, or that that thing from the Masats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the similar thing. Like I said and before, we were told. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ten or twelve of these giant game changers that were twisted and changed the narrative. There, there were. And now we got to rediscover what they really mean. Yeah, most definitely. Another casualty of the war against the saints. Well, brethren, I know we've hit the top of the hour. Don't want to delay it. So we can close in prayer and give thanks and glory and praise and honor. Heavenly Father, we do give praise, glory, and honor for that great sacrifice that was done in our behalf to make our robes white, to do it for all of us, even though totally unworthy, to bring a a remnant back to you and back under this covenantal relationship that you promised for Abraham's descendants in posterity. How wonderful it is to tell the story and to share the truth of that great sacrifice made on our behalf. Father, we just desire that we could be so worthy to be able to be emissaries and servants of yours. And at times in this world, Father, we just don't even know how that's to be done. It's hard for us to comprehend and understand what we ought to have done or can be doing now or that you want for us to be engaged in. We ask, Father, for you just to keep enlightening us and opening our eyes that when the day of vengeance comes, that every one of us guide and direct us. 
And Father, above all, we see these casualties of those who were once in understanding of what you had done. And we find people even amongst our own people that are divorcing and and deciding that because of doctrine, they can no longer be together as one. Father, what a destruction to your people to have these false doctrines and so forth drive wedges between them. Another casualty. Father, we pray for them. We pray that if there be reconciliation, that they find reconciliation. That it be your will that they find that reconciliation. Pray for your people, Father, wherever they are. Pray that the world will see that your people have desired to do your will. But there's been an adversary amongst us who has been doing their will and not your will. And that they would come to recognize with us that we might put that adversary out once and for all. And that the glory of your kingdom would come in. I, for one, pray it. I'm asking for it, trusting in it, and counting on it. Seeing it as being done, Father in the heavens. May thy will be done. Here in this earth as it is in your heavenly realm. Amen. Not everybody. Amen.